Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into another edition of Former Fizz. I'm your host, Jaron May, and during this interview series, I speak with previous Orange Fizz staff writers about SU sports from when they were on the Hill. Today, I have another very special guest. He only called Syracuse home for two years, from 2010 to 2012, but either way, still very glad he could join me. Today, I am joined by Craig Hoffman. Craig, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, man. Excited to do it. Always good to talk to really about or, or to anyone with Fizz connections. So I'm, I'm pumped to do this. All right. So Craig, let's, let's get rolling right into it. And you had some great years, both football and basketball wise, but let's start with football. What was your favorite Syracuse football memory from when you were a student? Uh, it was definitely when Chandler Jones ruined Geno Smith's life. It was a Friday night at the dome and Chandler had been out a couple of games. And what was really actually cool about that day for me was we had done, and I'm trying to remember what it was for. I think it was an ESPNU campus connection shoot. Uh, and I was at, I'm totally blanking on the players, but I want to say it was Chris Joseph's apartment. For some reason, that's the guy that's sticking out of my head. So we were at a couple of the basketball players' apartments watching them play video games and shooting it for ESPNU. And then go from South Campus to the, from those apartments to the game, and now I'm in press mode and up in the press box, and Chandler just went off. He had two sacks. He had a bunch of batted balls. He was in Geno Smith's face all night, and it was a monster upset. Uh, I want to say West Virginia was ranked like 15th at the time, uh, something like that, and, and we beat him, and it was, it was just a great night, One my favorite night of Syracuse football. You know, winning the pinstripe bowl was cool uh, and, and all that, and, and uh, I guess that was actually the year after I graduated that happened, but... Um, you know, there, there's, I've got some cool Syracuse football memories, but that's the one that always stands out. And I think especially because uh, after, in that pinstripe bowl, so this is now 2013, the year after I graduated, I went back and did some media stuff. And I remember asking Geno Smith, like, hey, you happy that Chandler Jones isn't there, that 99 isn't there? And he goes, who's 99? And I'm like, okay, like you're a delusional doof. And then we went out and smacked him in the pinstripe bowl and I took extra pleasure of, uh, out of that. All right, well, that sounds amazing. In that pinstripe bowl, I actually talked with Kevin Fitzgerald uh, and a friend of yours about that um, a little while ago on Former Fizz. But now let's flip the coin and let's talk about the worst football game you witnessed while you were at Syracuse. Oh, man, there's a couple doozies. Um, I think that... Uh... The, there's one that the one that sticks out. I want to say it was my junior year. There was a game between us and Rutgers that I felt like set football back a century. Um, I don't remember any of the specifics because I have completely and totally tried to scrub it from my brain. All I know is that it is the game that I compare all other bad game, football games to emotionally. Um, but I mean, our, my senior year was tough because we started off pretty well. And I don't remember the specifics at this point of the games down the stretch, but we were sitting on five wins for the last couple of weeks of the season. You need one win to be bowl eligible, and you just lose, lose, lose. And it was, it was a tougher schedule, and there were plenty of games that I don't think anyone expected Syracuse to win. But 
um, that was a good enough team that should have made a bowl. And, and that I think was probably the toughest thing is I, I did, I definitely remember doing my shows on Z89 and, and writing for Fizz, some columns about the disappointment of not wearing or not, uh, going to a bowl that year and, um, how that, that meant that the, 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 it just the university needed to take a look at some things and um, really examine the football program. Not necessarily they needed to make changes at the top, but they needed to really re-examine uh, what they were doing and how that could possibly happen to to go from a, a bowl team on the up and up to five wins pretty quick in, in that second season, uh, and then to to Doug Marone's team not making it uh, to a bowl my senior year in 2012. So that. That Doug Marone, and let's let's talk about that a little bit. So you got to experience both of your years at Syracuse were in the Doug Marone era, and you got to experience him before he made that leap to the NFL. And you say that he had some struggles while at Syracuse, um, but ultimately, as a student and as a student journalist, who was Doug Marone as a person and as a coach when he was at the collegiate level instead of the NFL level? Doug, Doug's a complex character. Um, he wears on people, and I understand why he's intense. Um, he can be a little short-sighted, I think, at times. Uh, if you look at some of the things he said over the years, uh, both at Cuse and at the NFL level, you know, he's someone who I think knows he's smart and sometimes lets that get in the way. My personal experience with Doug was always great. I didn't have a ton of it. Um, I always, he always answered my questions in press conferences and, and was fine with me. Um, the one like real sit down I ever had with him, uh, man to man, no microphones, anything was actually pretty funny because it involves DA and it was at media day, my senior year and we're down in Providence and I made sure to wait Doug out and we start talking and his father-in-law is a guy named Boots Collins who was the head football coach at Middle Tennessee State a long time ago and that's where I was before I was at Syracuse and so I mentioned that and sure enough he goes into talking about him and we start talking about me and it was just a very human experience and the funny part is 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 Damon comes up and at the time he's at the sports hub in Boston so he's a pretty big deal and an alum and whatever and Damon comes up to say hi and Doug basically brushes him off he's like hey great to meet you and goes right back to talking to me he didn't care that DA was a bigger name and all that kind of stuff he at that time was invested in someone he had a common connection with in me with my former school and his father-in-law so um that's the the overwhelming thing I always think about with Doug, and so I'm admittedly jaded by pers- a positive personal experience, but a really, really smart football coach, and I, I actually give him a ton of credit. Um, you know, one of the things I remember, and I want to say it was my junior year, they had a, a certain style of offense going in, and it just it wasn't working, and, and they figured it out, and they kind of remade things on the fly into a more up-tempo offense. Actually, might have been my senior year, and had a lot of success with Ryan Nassib uh, offensively, and, you know, the fact that they were able to look in the mirror and scrapped everything that they had planned uh, with him and Nathaniel Hackett I thought was a pretty good sign of a coach who was adaptable, which is always a good sign. But um, I, I definitely know that he wore on people, and, and ultimately that's why, uh, you know, they're, they're as good as he was and as much success as he had. Uh, and him following a disastrous era in Greg Robinson, there were not as many people that were sad that he was leaving as you would think. 
I mean, so you say that he was a little difficult to work with, but also had that personal connection. So who was more difficult in a press room conference type of situation? Um, was it Marone or was it Beheim? I think Beheim has to win that, especially in the press conference setting. Um, cause Jim gave his last, you know what, a long time ago, um, Doug was still like Doug, Doug's resume is good as it was NFL level coached in, with the saints and, and won a super bowl and all that kind of stuff. Like it's still not Jim in Syracuse. And so what Bayheim knew he could get away with murder. And so he murdered people and that obviously has not changed, but in fairness to him, it didn't have to be a student journalist. Like, I don't think Bayheim ever, he didn't go out of his way to protect student journalists, which I think college coaches should do to be like, hey, like, I'm not going to obliterate this kid and I'm probably going to pull him aside later because I work for the university and he's a student here. But uh, he, he didn't go out of his way not to obliterate people either. I was luckily on the, never on the receiving end. I was honestly uh, more scared than I should have been to ask Bayheim questions. Uh, but I, I always made sure that if I was going to ask one, that it was a really good and worthwhile question. Um, and not one of general curiosity so that he could light me on fire. <laughs> well, smart by you. Uh, and let's, let's get to our last football question before we switch over to Bayheim and the basketball boys. <clears throat> so the, the last question I have for you on the football side of things is if you had to pick the best football player, the best single football player you got to witness while you were on the hill, who would it be? The best Syracuse football player is obviously Chandler. Um, and I'm having a hard time thinking of who was better. Um, because Chandler at his best dominated games. That West Virginia game is, is an all-timer. Like, and the fact that he has gone on to be able to do that in the NFL is, is not really that surprising to me. Um, Chandler and I had a class together my junior year. Like the first time I ever saw Chandler Jones was in a classroom, not on a football field. And I was just like, who's that guy? That guy is not like the rest of the people walking around this campus. And even amongst the football players, obviously, like he was a first round pick and he's led the NFL in sacks. So it's not like I should be straining myself to think of some of the players in the conference, et cetera, that, that were better. But um, when I think back to my time and the best player I saw, um, Chandler Jones' ability from a defensive end standpoint, even though he was hurt and he missed some time and all that kind of stuff, like that dude was, that dude was sick. And, um, you know, he's continued to do that in the NFL and he's a, he's a good dude too. So I'm, I'm happy to see it. So I'll go, I'll go with Chandler. Okay. So you got Chandler is Ryan Nassib. Would you put Nassib at two? I mean, you got to see him, um, for the majority of his career and he put up some really good numbers probably one of the top three, maybe four, um, SU quarterbacks of all time. Would you put Nassib number two of the players that you witnessed while you were on campus? I'm totally blanking, and this is this is funny, but not. I'm totally blanking on the punter's name, but he's still in the— Riley Dixon. Riley Dixon as a punter was also incredible. He's a punter, so I don't know how you want to weight that, but, like, Riley Dixon was better at punting by a lot than Ryan Nassib was at quarterbacking. Ryan had some really great games. I think Ryan overall was a pretty good player. Um, and it's, you're probably right. I mean, like Shamarco Thomas had a cup of coffee in the NFL and was a really good safety. Um, he was, he was pretty solid. Uh, there were some D linemen that were all right. Jaron, like Jaron Reed, I, I think was the guy, the guy's name. Um, uh, no, not Jaron Reed. Um, oh God, he was just with the giants and now I'm, uh, Jay Bromley. Uh, that's who I'm thinking of was, was really good. Um, and, and wound up playing with in the NFL for a couple of years. 
Um, so, like, there were some other players that I think were probably right along the same level as Nassib. Not good enough to elevate a program. Not good enough to maybe more than once a season wreck a game outside of Ryan, who, you know, as a quarterback, obviously has an outsized impact. Um, but, yeah, those are some of the guys. And Ryan's definitely in that mix. I'm not trying to downplay Ryan. But, like, if you want to just go, how good are they at their position and takes the position's importance out of it, it's Chandler Jones and Riley Dixon were the top two Syracuse players during my time. I mean, Syracuse has turned to be special teams U so far because they're also turning out punters and kickers on a yearly basis uh, currently with Andre Schmidt, and and you can go down the line. There's there's plenty of them. But now let's switch over to the basketball side of things, and you were on the hill for some really good basketball years. Your first season, Syracuse started 18-0. and So as a newcomer to Syracuse, Number one, my first question is, how great was that experience just to be able to be a part of that and see them go so far and so quickly um, continued to be perfect without losing? And then also, how unbeatable did you feel that that team was when it was leading up to that 18-0 run? Um, It's funny because I felt like that run, not that it was fake, but we all knew they weren't that good. Um, Like... They were good, and we felt like that team should have been in the mix uh, my, my junior year, um, but they just didn't quite have the star power to really take that next step because you got to remember, so they're coming off the season where they make the Final Four and one of the best teams, that 2010 team that we've ever seen with Wesley Johnson, and they never replaced him. Like, yeah, Chris Joseph was good and had taken a step and, you know, Scoop Jardine was good and had taken a step and Brandon Trish, you know, you're coming into his second year, like good player. You're, you're wondering if Dion waiters as a freshman is ever going to figure it out. Uh, same thing with fab mellow, but the answer for those guys wound up being no. And it, as you're getting deeper in the season, those guys still are not really turning it on at all. You're going like, all right, there's a, there's a ceiling here that's going to be met. And so, we knew that team was good, um, but not like I don't think anybody thought uh, a team whose offense was generally built around Rick Jackson in the low post was going to be a Final Four team. So it was a mat. Like there were some people because fans are delusional, and as students, certainly as student media, like some of us were delusional too. But um, I, I kind of was like. At least maybe I'm giving myself too much credit in hindsight. Maybe someone's going to go back in the Fizz archives and see something I wrote and be like, no, you thought they were awesome. Um, But I I definitely, like the fact that that team wound up losing in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament makes a whole lot of sense to me in hindsight. I'll I'll put it that way. Um, Even if it was, it was definitely fun and there was pride in being ranked number one, something that I think a lot of people thought uh, that team would never achieve after Wesley Johnson leaves in 2010. So that kind of, I think I know the answer to this next question because of that answer, but which team were you more confident in? The one that started 18-0 your junior year or the one that only lost one game and made that deep run in the NCAA tournament your senior year? Yeah, that senior year team um, is the team that is one of the great what-ifs. Um, and it becomes an even more tragic story, obviously, as Fab Mello passes away a couple of years ago. But Fab gets suspended. I, I'll never forget where I was. Um, I'm sitting on uh, – actually, I'll, I'll tell the, the, the abridged version of, of the full story. Um, I cover the, the, the Big East tournament uh, in, uh, in New York, which – 
ends for Syracuse with, I want to say, a loss to Cincinnati in which Deion Waiters was absolutely spectacular. Uh, just everybody, that was the talk of the game, even though Syracuse lost. And that was the point where I'm going, Deion Waiters is going to be a lottery pick. Um, and nobody believed me. And then he wound up being a lottery pick. Um, but the, you know, so that, that's how that ends prematurely, um, in a, in a blaze of Dion glory. And then I went and visited my buddy, Ralphie Aversa in Scranton, Wilkesbury. Ralphie went on to, to work for, uh, WPLJ in New York and is a fairly big time media person. But at this time he's, he's working in Scranton and I'm, I'm staying on, on his floor, uh, knowing that in two days I need to go to Pittsburgh where the NCAA tournament's going to be. And that was a good kind of middle ground between New York city at spring break. I didn't want to go back to Cuse. So I just planned on going all the way through. And so I'm sitting on Ralphie's floor, uh, on my laptop and see the official message. It was one of those rare stories in the last decade that was broken by the official account. Like it was, it was a release. It wasn't broken by a reporter anywhere. We didn't have to confirm it. It was just like, this is it. This is the story. Fab Mello is suspended. And so that becomes one of the great what ifs. If a team that makes the elite eight has a guy who was an NBA caliber center, um, do they beat Ohio state in the elite eight and, and wind up in the final four in new Orleans. And it was also just a, one of the most poorly officiated games, uh, and that I've ever seen in college basketball, which is saying something because college basketball officiating is generally dreadful. Um, and so, um, that team had kind of everything. It had the veterans. It had the the younger guys. I mean, Michael Carter Williams was a freshman on that team and barely even played, but occasionally would come in and make a huge impact. Um, and you know, he'd come in most games and some game, a lot of games he just wasn't that good. So it was like, okay, well, back on the bench you go. But they had Jardine, Trish, Dion was sixth man extraordinaire. Um, Chris Joseph, James Sutherland provided shooting at size, which is huge. Um, you know, Fab was a defensive presence. Baikita was backup. Like they had, they had depth, and that was when I think kind of one of the last great Bayheim teams. Like obviously, some other teams, like the Malachi Richardson team, makes a run, but I don't think anyone saw that coming. Like that was that stretch where he had the West Johnson team, then he has that twelve team where they are just true teams in the athletic overwhelming defensively dominant style that you know people kind of associate with the best that Syracuse basketball can be and unfortunately because of fab suspension um and you know with some help from the officials in the elite that elite eight game that it ends in Boston instead of New Orleans and, and possibly a title run right so let's talk about that fab mellow kind of situation and it also included mookie jones and Dion waiters there was that whole scandal and then a couple years later the wins are vacated so when you look back at that still as i assume you're still a syracuse fan and you still support the team and the university um what are your feelings about vacating the majority of the wins that you were on campus for I generally think, and this is a bigger picture thing, like I just think vacating wins is kind of silly. Um, like we all know the best college football player in 2005 was Reggie Bush. You can take away his Heisman, you can take away the wins. There's the best that's that's the best college football, you know, one of the best college football teams any of us have ever seen and Reggie Bush is the, was the best player and he like I don't give a bleep where the trophy is. And that's kind of how I feel about that, that 2012 team. Like that's one of the best college basketball teams I've seen up close, uh, in covering college basketball a little bit as a professional. And, and also, um, you know, just being there every day, obviously during that time. And I, 
I don't really care what history says about it. Uh, and I, that's not to say that I endorse rule breaking or I, and cause at the end of the day, like the people that get hurt when they shortcut education is the people themselves. Like they, they didn't do the work to get the grades. Um, and, and that means they don't have the knowledge. Like that's really what that's about. They're shortchanging themselves. And, um, that doesn't take away anything that happens on the basketball court and someone in an office somewhere in Indianapolis, not completely arbitrarily, but basically arbitrarily makes up the rules of what is an eligible basketball player and not. They could, they determine that if you do this, that you're no longer eligible to play basketball. Well, still a 20 year old player or a 19 year old or whatever it is playing basketball. And it's not like they were, you know, getting money to then get pro training outside or they, they broke practice rules to, to give them an unfair advantage once the game started. So it is what it is. It's unfortunate. Um, but I, that's as far as I'd go is to say it's unfortunate. I, I don't honestly, until you said that, uh, and reminded me with the question, I forgot those wins were vacated. So that tells you how much I care about it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Let's switch over to something that you probably do care about, the old Big East. I mean, there's a lot of hatred. There was a lot of bad blood between those schools, and you got to live through that and experience it while you were at Syracuse. So, and the answer might be pretty obvious, but maybe you have a side answer. Um, Of the old Big East schools, which one did you have the biggest problem with? Which one did you hate the most? Uh, Georgetown is the obvious answer. It is the correct answer, and it is even more of a correct answer because I have, for the last five years, lived in Washington, D.C. So <laughs> I I have to confront that head-on here at home now. Um, but it's just there's something about it that's different. Um, and there's a couple fun stories. I'll, I'll, I'll quickly answer the second, like, is there another one? And then I'll, I'll tell my favorite Georgetown story because it's a good one, um, and that has, like, a, a Washington, D.C. postscript on it. But Nova was the other one at the time because they were so good. That was who we had sent the attendance records against. Um, so Nova also kind of had a special place for that era of, of Syracuse basketball as, as a hated Big East rival. Um, but Georgetown always is, I mean, it goes back to obviously Big John and, and the rivalries in the 80s and, and as the thing got started in the very late 70s. Uh, uh, all the way through to the 90s and, and, you know, the Allen Iverson teams and all things like that, uh, you know, at the same time as John Wallace is accused. But for the, the number one agitator for Georgetown at that time was Otto Porter. And terrific player, winds up being number three pick in the NBA draft with none other than the Washington Wizards, which as a younger reporter before I got full on into covering football in D.C., I was doing a, a decent amount of coverage of. And my... 23rd birthday is February 23rd, 2013. So it's the year after I graduate. It's Otto's senior year. I want to say he dropped 34 at a game at the Dome. That was just spectacular. He hit everything. And uh, I was at the game, supposed to be celebrating, instead just being miserable on my birthday. And so years later at a Wizards media day, I bring that up to him. And I was like, uh, in an interview, I'm just like, all right, I'm here with Otto Porter on 106.7 The Fan. Otto, did you know that you ruined my 23rd birthday? And told him the story. And he laughed about it. And basically was just like, sorry, little buddy. And that's that's kind of how that story went. And uh, 
you know, it was a fun laugh and, and it was a good time, but he knew exactly the game I was talking about because it is, it is as good of a game as he ever had in college. And unfortunately, it happened in the Carrier Dome in front of me and, and one of my best friends uh, who had come up on the trip with me. And um, he had like six or seven threes. Like he was, he was great. And uh, there were some really good games. My senior year, Chris Joseph, I think, had 32 in a, a game that was in the 60s. Like, he scored literally half of Syracuse's points in an overtime game. That was that was an absolute classic. So, um, got to enjoy the fullest of that rivalry and, and both the full spectrum of emotions of both joy and pain. Okay. So, I mean, if I was a betting man, that's what I would have said. Um, not surprised that he chose Georgetown. But before we wrap up here on Former Fizz with Craig Hoffman, Craig, I have one last question for you, and I've asked all my guests this so far. If you could put together a starting five with players from just when you were on campus from Syracuse, who would be in that starting five and why? Who? Um, I think Brandon Trish is the point guard. Dion Waiters is the shooting guard. Chris Joseph is the small forward. Then, then we get into a, a basketball issue of do we go for a more modern like shooting type of, of uh, exercise or do we go with who was the better player at the time? Because then you're talking about either James Sutherland uh, as, a, as a taller shooter uh, that you put on the wing or do you go Rick Jackson? Uh, and then Fab Mello is the center. And actually, are we? Do they? Does it have to just be like what they were at the time? Because that could change my point guard too. Because like Michael Carter Williams was there when I was there, but he wasn't nearly as good yet. Yeah, no. So we're gonna go with what they were at the time when you were there. Okay, because like Trevor Cooney is another guy who who gets in that mix if you take you know what he became. But if we're gonna take like okay, best versions of them at the time, I'll I'll, I'll play the exercise this way. I will say Brandon Trish uh, is the point guard. Uh, Deion Waiters is the shooting guard. Chris Joseph is the small forward. Rick Jackson at power forward. And uh, and Fab Mello at center. Although I'm really torn on that power forward spot because that also in the 2-3 puts us in a bad spot on that Rick Jackson wing. All right. Hey, well, uh, that's a pretty solid starting five, and we'll compare them all once we get them all and we wrap up former Fizz. But we're going to wrap up this episode with Craig Hoffman. Craig, thanks so much for joining me. You got it, and uh, I'll have to fight Kevin Fitzgerald because he's going to have a better five than me. (laughs) Well, Craig, thank you so much. Hopefully we'll see you versus Fitz very soon. Uh, But that's going to do it for another edition of Former Fizz. If you want to check out all of our previous or our future episodes, search Orange Fizz on SoundCloud or by going to orangefizz.net. That's going to do it for this episode. Everyone, please stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you back here for another edition of Former Fizz very soon.